Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How's it going today? Oh, cold. Yes. If you need a blanket, raise your hand. Rick will bring you one. (laughs) So if you have a Bible and you want to get to Ephesians, um, we're looking again at one of the Apostle Paul's prayers. And uh, man, this is a good one. And last week was a really good one, but this is a really good one. Um, And I'll tell you, I, I think I put it this way last week that the, um, the goal of prayer, I think I said last week, wasn't answers. Like a lot of times we pray and we go, to, go in prayer because like, we need an answer. God gives answers. I say that's a secondary thing. The primary goal isn't an answer. The primary goal is the journey to hope. Today, I think the, the big focus of what we're going to see in this passage is that um, the goal of prayer is the presence of God. And God giving us more and more. I love what Jeff prayed a few minutes ago. Um, pray that we'd see you rightly. Because all of us that are in the room, there's an aspect of God that we don't see rightly. Um, we think we got him nailed down pretty good sometimes, but um, we're growing in our understanding of what it means to see him rightly. Um, when I was in high school, um, I attended, uh, I don't know how, I guess they did it every, every year. I attended this conference called Acquire the Fire. Any Acquire the Fire people out, out there? Um, <clears throat> raise your hand if you want to Acquire the Fire. Raise your hand if you took a group of students to acquire the fire. Okay, no, we don't have, you don't have to raise your hand. Rick did not. Is that your ministerial win there? <laughs> um, the goal, uh, the goal of acquire the fire, um, at least my, my take on it, was really to stir up students' hearts to get on fire for the Lord um, through, through high energy, um, skits and dramas and loud music and um, to really acquire a fire within you to be excited about the Lord. Now, I'm not, my goal wasn't necessarily to critique the goods and bads or whatever of that, because I think it did, it did some things that made some effect, it made some impact, it reached some kids in powerful ways, there's no doubt about that. Um, but what's crazy is so much of even, I think about my, my growing up, was there was this propensity to live like like youth conference to youth conference or youth camp to youth camp or like high experience, high emotion, like I feel God is awesome right now and that's going to sustain me until the next moment when I feel God is awesome. Um, And you better hope that your awesome God experience is close enough to the last awesome God experience to keep you from going through anything hard because in that hard time you're like, God doesn't exist, right? Um, And what's incredible about what we're going to see today as we look at this prayer and we see the presence of God is this literally that we get to, we can experience God every moment 
Um, and it's not always this like emotional, like God is great, um, but really becomes this foundational piece that sustains us. Because if you look at, probably there's a, there's a little phrase above this text in your Bible. What does it say? Prayer for spiritual strength. And so what Paul's going to get at here as we unpack this was this prayer that he prayed for this, these believers in Ephesus that they would be strong in the Lord. And it wouldn't be based in this like, I feel this emotional high, like, but it'd be based in the truthfulness and the nature and character of God, not in how I feel in this moment. So um, let's dive in uh, verse 14. Let's read verse 14 and 15. Paul begins, um, for this reason, actually, let's just stop right there. You're like, oh boy, it's going to be a long morning. For this reason, we're three words in and we're stopping. Um, so Paul begins the basis, do a search later on how many times Paul begins like his prayers and his words for this reason. I think it's interesting, even when we think about Paul, like what's the reason Paul's praying here? Anybody know what's the reason he's praying? Well, if you glance up two verses, he's praying for two things, or he's praying based on two things. In verse 12, he says, we have boldness and access with confidence. Like, I would venture to guess that, that there's some of us, part of where we struggle to see God rightly is our access to him and the confidence we can have to come to him. Like maybe, maybe based on like a poor father and how you see God as father. And so coming to God is like, I don't, I don't know if I can trust him. I don't know if I can believe him. Kind of a struggle there. Well, Paul says, based on the reason that I can boldly access God, I'm going to go to him. For this Reason, But if you look in verse 13, I know it's not on the screen, but it's in your Bible. If you have that open, Paul's prayer is that these guys he's praying for would not do what? Lose heart. Like, that's huge. How many of you have a tendency to lose heart? Yeah. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm going to God because for the reason that, that they would not lose heart. Like the means by which we would be a people that grow in the aspect of not losing heart is when we get in God's presence and we realize who he is. Not who we feel him to be, but who he actually actually is. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father. Hugely key word here. Okay, um, I don't think we can properly understand prayer um, or properly pray until we understand God as a Father. Right? Like, notice the humility by which Paul comes to him. I bow my knee. So there's a, there's a humility, but he's going to his dad. He's going to a dad who we just, just, we just got done singing about, right? A good, good father that, like, is more for you than you are. That's more about your joy than you are. Man, I think a lot of us, I think there's, back to this father conversation, there's a whole lot of misperception about who God is as father because we, you've had a terrible earthly dad. And so you don't, see the, you don't see that you can go boldly and ask. You don't see that you have access. You don't see that you're loved. You think that, that maybe when you go to God, you've got to earn your love, earn his love, and earn access through maybe how you act or how you pray or that you have certain kind of words. And God's just like, like I'm just a good dad. Just come to me. He's like, just come to me. Like, I'm not requiring all these things. I'm just asking you to come to me. That's what Paul's getting at. Bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth 
is named. What is he saying? Every person in the world that belongs to God is God's kid because of the fact that they bear his name, right? Everyone has a responsibility to God. Now, there's God's children that are his and called out and been saved and are being saved. But everyone has a responsibility to God. So how, how incredible is that? Like, you better believe that my kids have better access and more access to me than anybody else because they have my name, right? Like, that's what Paul's saying here is from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Is that God's like, you can have access to me by coming to me through faith in Christ and I'm yours. Like, I'll drop everything so that, so that to listen to what you have to say, to listen to what you're going through. In fact, I already know it. I already know what you're going through. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I talked earlier about um, the danger in prayer of prayer feel, being this like this thing you feel. Um, have you ever prayed and you're just like that? I felt like that was I got nothing out of that, or was there was no experience? Like I didn't feel God. Um, Paul Paul says here that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant us to be strengthened with power. So no, notice that it's that Paul's going to God based on who God is, not based on who He is or based on what He's done. But he's going to God based on who God is, because God is a God who's rich in glory and gloriously rich. And yet, how often when we pray, do we wonder if God will hear us? Do we wonder if God will answer? Do we wonder if God will provide? Do we wonder if God will meet our needs? Do we wonder if God knows? Paul's like, you are rich in glory. Like the most beautiful being in the world, in existence. What, what a picture of Paul running. Like, Paul, you and I, running to God with this picture of, like, God's rich in glory. Like, you, I think I said this last week, that you, we begin to lose affection. Um, and that's one of the things that, like, when we get to the book of Revelation, we see that the, the Ephesian church, where they struggled, was to keep Christ as their first love. And when you stop being in awe of something, you begin to fall out of love with that something. And Paul's like, I don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that God is rich in glory. Because I never want to lose my awe for God. Which is in a, this emotional high experience that oftentimes we can be taught as Christians that we need to live in. But it's this is who God is. Sometimes we feel the weight of that and sometimes we don't. But that doesn't change who he is. That doesn't change his goodness. But another thing I think is huge is it gets our focus off of us even when we pray. Because Paul's praying. What is he praying according to? The riches of God's glory. Now, that's, that's going to be a refining prayer, right? Because it's, it's so hard. Is it, is it not so hard? It's difficult when we pray to see prayer as how this is going to help me, right? I mean, there's an aspect when we pray, like, that's part of it, right? Like, I have needs. I'm going to a good father who recognizes I have needs and wants me to come to him with my needs. He says that. He says, you have not because you ask not. But when we really look at this prayer and we see Paul saying that according to the riches of your glory, what is, 
So Paul's saying, like, first and foremost, it's not about my needs. First and foremost, it's not about, like, this is what I need. This is what I need you to do for me. Paul, he's getting his focus off of him. Because his hope isn't in whether or not God gives him what he thinks he needs. His hope is in the fact that he's going to a God who's rich in glory. It's hard. It's hard to focus. But that's what Paul's doing is he's saying, get your minds. When we focus on the nature and character of God, it it leads us to get our minds off of making much of us and our situation and making much of him. It leads us to make much of him. But here's the other thing it does is it changes our perspective from viewing prayer as a circumstantial game changer. Like, I need this prayer to change the circumstances that I'm going through, and it leads me into enduring hope that isn't based in circumstances. Furthermore, the person of God who's in our circumstances. And oftentimes, through our circumstances, we see him more clearly than if we didn't have those circumstances. Can I just make that exponentially clear? What you're walking through right now, what you're wrestling through right now, what you're unsure of right now, God's ushering you into his presence through that very uncertainty. And the basis of that is he's a good dad. So it's like, well, do, do I tread on uncertainty when there's a good dad in charge? Yeah. Because all it does is force you to put your hope in him. Because it's all you have, right? Like, that's what Paul's doing. Saying that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So it becomes more about the external, like what's going on with my job? What's going on with my family? What's going on with this situation? What's going on with my thought life? What's going on with my kids? What's going on with my parents? Like all these circumstantial things, and it changes, it flips it. What does he say? He may grant you with power to be strengthened in your inner being. Now we hate that, right? Like, as a culture, inner being, like, who cares about inner being, right? It's all about, like, how you look and how you are presented before the people next to you. Like, that's what matters, right? Like, what do you drive and what do you wear and how much do you weigh and how much do you make? All the external. Peter just nails this in 1 Peter 3. Look at this. It says, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear... Those things aren't wrong. We'll keep reading later if you want. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I think it should bring some interest to our minds that we care about what God says is precious. Right? And what does he say is precious? The hidden person you are. Now, every one of you is a hidden person. You're like, there's an aspect to you that's you. No one, like, who are you behind closed doors? What do you do? What do you watch? What do you listen to? What do you say? There's a hidden person to who you are. How do you pray? And Paul says, or I'm sorry, Peter here says, let your adorning be that. Who you are inside, who you are when no one's looking, because that's going to overflow into who you are when everybody's watching. And that's going to be the sustaining hope in prayer that leads us into not, not external, 
but the transformation of the heart, which is God's presence in which where joy is found. Because the goal of all this is that God is ushering, his, ushering our souls into his presence all the time. Hear that? God's ushering our souls into his presence all the time. Now, keep reading. 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. He uses the word dwell. God wants to live in your presence. God wants you to live in his presence so that Christ may dwell in your heart. So I was having this conversation. Um, actually, my kids were having this conversation. I have no clue how it even came up. They were talking about heaven and hell. We were on our way to church. And they were talking about like whether this specific person was in heaven or in hell. And, um, and my daughter chimes in and she's like, well, hell is for really, 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 really bad people who don't ask Jesus into their heart. And uh, I was like, kind of assessing, right? Like, well, where do I need to probe this theologically? And um, and uh, I was like, you know, actually, um, now here's the interesting thing. Like, I'm, I've always been real, real careful about um, leading my kids in a in a prayer, what's called the sinner's prayer. Um, like we need to sit down and have this moment where they have a prayer. Um, I don't know, I'm still wrestling through that. My kids are so young and still figuring that out. But um, I think part of it is that discipleship is a process whereby faith is the access and a belief in God is a journey and not just a, not just a single prayer, right? Now, now, there's surrender that happens through a single prayer, but I don't want to play, place my hope in that one moment. Um, again, I'm still wrestling through that, and you can give me your thoughts later. Um, or just yell at me right now, it'll be fine. Um, and, but, so this conversation came up, and they used the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. And we've talked about that with our kids a little bit. And, and I, I said, actually, Mikhail, um, the truth is that we're all really, 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 really bad people who are going to hell. Unless we ask Jesus into our heart, right? So hell is for really, really, really bad people, which is all of us. Okay, and that, this is what Paul's getting at here when he says that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, right? There's been a whole lot of conversation about how do we, how do we gain access to heaven? Well, the truth isn't so much how do you gain access to heaven as much as how much, how do you gain access to Christ and how does Christ gain access to your life? And the simple truth is faith, which is all that Paul's getting at here. Faith, a trust and surrender. The working of the Spirit bringing himself into our lives. And then what does it say happens when we put our faith in Christ? This is phenomenal. We're rooted and we're grounded. Okay, now we're, we live in like Tornado Alley, right? So we're really familiar with this idea of where when something's rooted, like a tree, when, when tornadoes come, like if it's not rooted, like it's gone, right? Like it's going away. Um, and the interesting thing about the concept of being rooted is that you can have a tree that's rooted and storms come and the top breaks off like one happened in my backyard a couple years ago, um, but it's still rooted. It's still there. It's still present. And this is the truth that's talking about we think about the gospel and we think about putting our faith in Christ is that we grow deeper and deeper and more rooted in Christ so that when storms come and things happen in our lives, we're rooted in him and we're not ripped out. The gospel writer 
Matthew, talking about the parable of the sower, he says this, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. It's like taking a flower with its roots and just laying it on the ground. And then he goes on to say, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away because there's no root. And what Paul's praying for these believers and teaching us about prayer and about Christian life is that when we pursue God and we grow deeper into Christ through prayer, we're rooted in him. We're sustained, we're, we're grounded is the other word that's used and gives us access into his presence. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about the presence of God. Probably a lot of different things. But I think there's, I think there's two ways that we can view the presence of God. Um, we can stand back and see it from a distance. Or we can actually experience it, like in his presence. Okay, so have any of you ever been to Niagara Falls? I have not, just for the record. I've been there on my computer, and it's unbelievable. Has anyone ever been to Niagara Falls? Okay, is it, is it really cool? Um, so I found this video. There's way cooler videos online, but I didn't have access to them. So um, watch this video real quick about Niagara Falls. It's like a minute long. Now, my understanding of Niagara Falls is based on what I read and what I watch. Right, so I uh, here's some some information about Niagara Falls. So, three thousand one hundred and sixty tons of water flow flow over Niagara Falls every second. That's crazy. That's over a hundred. Oh, it's over seven hundred and fifty thousand gallons of water every second. That's a that's a lot of water. In case you were wondering, okay. Um, the other thing is that. Um, Niagara Falls is capable of producing over 2.4 million kilowatts of power, which is enough power to light 24 million 100-watt light bulbs at one time. All that power is shared between the United States and Canada. I read earlier that 20% of drinking water that in, in the U.S. actually goes over the falls. Um, that's where we get 20% of our drinking water. Like, that's a lot of water, and that's a lot of power. Um, so you saw a ship, uh, this ship right here. Anybody been on it? Anybody been on this? Coop, what was it like? Wet. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Was it, was it pretty cool? Just, just a little bit. Um, okay, so they have a, it's called Made of the Mist, and this is what their website says, dress code. Blue rain poncho, optional, but we highly suggest you wear it or else. Okay, now here's what's, here's what's baffling to me. is like, I believe when we think about the nature and character of God, when we think about the love of God as we're seeing Paul pray, is that we really can, can see it in one of two ways. Is that we can try to, try to see it and understand it and experience it from a distance, right? Like, I can tell you about what Niagara Falls is like and the cool videos I watched this week on Niagara Falls and how amazing and powerful it is, but I've never been there. Like, I've never experienced it, let alone got on a boat that went towards the 750,000 gallons of water that were pouring over the falls every second. Like, I haven't experienced it. I don't know the power. Like, it, it's, it's so powerful, 
Like, very few people that have ever gone into the falls, have gone over the falls, have ever survived. They say 20 to 40 people commit suicide at the falls. Like, it's powerful. It takes life. It's powerful. But here's what's, here's what's crazy about what Paul's praying here. Is that when it comes to where he says that we may be strengthened with power, that, or verse 18, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, like that we would know the love of God. Right? Like, like, not that we'd be a people who kind of read the Bible externally or go to church or pray some formal prayers or, um, and we have some, we can speak some things about who God is and his love, but that we would be a people who, who can, who've experienced it. Right? In the same way that these guys are like, I'm going, I want to go and experience the power of the falls. That's what Paul's praying. And the paradox here is really crazy because verse 19 says that we may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Which is like that you may know what's unknowable. Like that in, in this pursuit of God, in this pursuit of prayer, we're a people that can actually experience God and not just do formulaic things to, you know, cross your um, T's and dot your I's and go through this certain experience or whatever, but actually that we'd be a people who are rooted and grounded in Christ and we've experienced him. We've experienced him. The experience of hope, the experience of his presence. Because here's what's crazy. I guarantee you if I could stand up here and tell you about Niagara Falls, and then I could have somebody who's been there come up and, and tell you about Niagara Falls, and they're going to tell it from a totally different perspective, right? Because they've been there. When you experience the love of Christ, there's a perspective change that happens, right? When verse 18, when it talks about comprehending, it's literally talking about this, this grasp by force with intensity, okay? To be overtaken, right? I mean, you could imagine if that ship kept, kept going into the falls, it would be overtaken by the power and the weight of those falls. And Paul continues and he says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And when's the last time you prayed that? I haven't. We prayed this morning right before the service. God, we want to be filled with all of, your, all of who you are, all of your presence. Forgive us of just being content with same old, same old. It's crazy because he continues. Verse 20, he says, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. You know the thoughts that you conceive in your mind about your life and about your desires? doesn't even compare with what God has for you and what God desires for you. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we think. Like what you think? God's like, that's, that's so small. Like you want to cast vision, like come and experience my love. Come and experience who I am. But here, here's the question that I think is, is huge because like is the how. Like how, do, how do we do that? Like how do we actually like get under the waterfall? Because this is great that we talk about experiencing the love of God, but how do we actually do that? Five very quick things that I want to give you. Just practically, how do, how do we do this? How do we plunge into the depths and dive into experiencing the waterfall of God's love? The first one is this. Jump in. 
Now, I don't mean to be insensitive here. I'd be morbid. But there's a parallel. Niagara Falls. It's believed that Niagara Falls has taken around 5,000 lives uh, over the course of, of the years. And I said earlier that 20 to 40 a year go there to take their own life. And it's very few people that have gone over the falls have actually survived the experience. You can read the encounters on the internet. Those are also videos, which are awful. Um, but here's what's crazy. Is that when it comes to this reality of the Christian life, Scripture says that if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. That when you come to Christ, literally what we're doing is we're, we're surrendering. Like that's Paul's prayer. Is that we would surrender, like, God, whatever you have, whatever you want, like, I'm in. Like, I don't know what you want to do with my life. Like, that's the Christian life. Like, we got to guard from this perspective of like, I'm going to wait in and see what he has for me. I'm going to kind of, you know, put on my floaties. And he's like, I want you to go over the falls because in the loss of your life, you're going to gain my life. The second thing is community. Paul says in verse 18 that we may comprehend the love of Christ with all the saints. I love that. Because what that tells me is there's, a, there's an element to God that I can't know about without you. Like this community aspect, the way that I get under the waterfall of God's grace is I got to be in community. I got to be ushered into the presence of God with the church. Not just on my own. Yes, it, it's also on my own. But I need people. You need people together with the saints. The third one is we got to fight complacency. You've got to fight complacency. Where we just, we're just okay with where we're at. Like, I go to church, and I'm a Christian, and I, I'm a pretty good person, and like, or I'm a really, I read my Bible all the time, and I'm like, I don't care where you're at. There's an aspect where, like, there's more. There's, like, all the fullness of God. Let me just, can I just tell you, maybe this is the most powerful thing you could hear all morning. You haven't tapped into all the fullness of God yet. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived Fight complacency. D.A. Carson, this is just going to punch you in the throat. I'm just going to warn you. This is what D.A. Carson says about complacency. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Paul's prayer here is that we would be a people who fervently fight that I'm just okay and I'm, I'm, I've arrived. The complacency in Christ. Fight it. Like, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. There's people that have, in this room that have, have confessed, like, I'm just in a really hard spot. It's going to happen. But the question is, is do we fight it or are we just okay with it? Because the longer we're just okay with it, the harder it becomes to grow out of it. The, the fourth thing is this. God's love's got to flow through you. We talk about the immensity of God's love and getting under the waterfalls. 
and putting your poncho on because you're going to get wet. But listen, if God's love's only for you, then you'll never really experience it. Because God, what God does to you, he wants to do through you. What God does to me, he wants to do through me. And the most, one of the most powerful ways that I've experienced God's love, it is being a vessel to be used to love. You've got to walk in that. You've got to figure out what it looks like to run into that. God, use me. And then the last thing is the challenge that we would be a people that pray for more of God. That was one of the most convicting things that I read, that, that the Spirit hit me as I prayed and studied, is that I don't pray enough for more of God. But what would happen if we were a people who just said, God, we want more of you? Like, that would require us to surrender because more of him oftentimes isn't really what we want. Right? Because it's not always comfortable. It's not always like the dream that we envision for our lives. We buy into this lie that we have a bigger dream for ourselves than God does, and that we'll find more joy in our dream for ourselves than God has for us. So will we be a people that prays for more of God? I want to pray this prayer over us, and then we're going to respond to the Lord. Maybe... uh, Let's, let's go ahead and pray, and maybe, maybe just by simply opening up our hands to the Lord as a, as a symbol of, of surrender. Father, we bow before you and ask, according to your glory, that you would strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner beings. That Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and grounded in love and would have the strength to comprehend, with, to comprehend together your breadth and length and height and depth, that we would know your love. It's beyond our knowledge, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, we desperately pray these words. Pray that they would be true in our heart and our life. God, forgive us for being complacent. God, show us that there's more of you. God, would you lead us to be a community of people who journey together to experience the depths of who you are. God, where we're doubting, where we're complacent and drifting, would through the community of the church, even this morning, would you call us to yourself to experience more of you? We want more of you, God. We want more of you. And God, where we're standing on the edge, would you lead us to jump in? And God, thank you for the promise that we're going to get wet. <laughs> You're going to pour out your love.
and that there's more. God, we love you. God, I pray that you'd lead us even now. Whatever that looks like, we surrender. In Christ's name, amen.